Dr. Nicole Garneau is a scientist and public speaker who lives in Denver, Colorado. This episode, Nicole speaks about dealing with depression and anxiety from a scientific perspective, how to stay productive, as well as the ski accident that changed her life. You're the self-dubbed soulful scientist. Yeah, and this is new. It's totally new. It's a huge switch. Um, my, my training is in genetics, and for about a half a decade, I was working on viruses actually really similar to coronavirus, which is totally bizarre. And then I switched into human behavior, specifically in taste. So I was using my understanding of genetics and neuroscience to understand how we perceive the world around us, why we're all unique in that. And when I was doing the work at the museum, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, it was all about in the respect of taste and how we perceive taste and how the ties to nutrition and overall health. So you had that thing, the sixth taste. Yeah, I worked on I worked on a project called the Sixth Taste with some researchers out of Purdue, um, looking at fat as the Sixth Taste. So fascinating stuff. But when I reached a decade um, in that field, I realized that there was a lot of work I wasn't doing on myself, and I right. started applying my understanding of genetics and neuroscience to mental health and neurodiversity. Um, okay. And it was really selfish. It was because I needed to understand myself more because I was hiding from my depression and anxiety was taking over my life. And I made a huge switch, both intentionally and also the universe um, gave me a ski accident and a brain injury that basically kicked life into gear. And it said, you are switching your life. And that's what I've been working on now as scientist and consultant around mental health and helping people understand that it's normal that our brains work differently. And that makes us unique. You had your, your article that you wrote, Confessions of a Depressed Scientist. So mm-hmm. was that kind of the article that made you come to terms with your depression or was that something you wrote couple years down the line type thing. Okay. So I had been, I mean, I've been coming to terms with my depression my entire life. That's, that's the story of clinical depression, right? It doesn't, in my anxiety days, I remember first meeting my therapist and be like, cool, what's my homework? Let's just fix this. She's like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I finally realized like, oh, I have this forever. How can I help other people? So I had decided to come out about, come out bunny ears about my depression and within within two weeks, the universe was like, oh, you anteed up. I got asked to write the article um, around happiness. They wanted to know about the neuroscience of happiness. And I said, can I pitch this as the neuroscience of happiness, confessions of a depressed scientist? And they were like, yeah, do it. And then I also got interviewed, actually three things. I got interviewed for a podcast called People Behind the Science. And that was one of the first times I talked about depression um, on a podcast. So I had a news. So I basically had like a, this article. I had a podcast and then um, a friend of mine is making a video around um, his name's Tyrone Beverly. Amazing. Actually, I want to put you in touch with him because he's the most amazing human and he's a videographer <laughs> and he did a documentary called Untold Stories of STEM. Yeah. And it was about talking about people like you look like, oh, everyone looks so good on paper. What's the yeah. real story? Yeah. And um, so within two weeks, the universe was like, you're going to do a documentary, you're going to do an interview, and you're going to write an article. So that's when I kind of came out. And this was this was in 20, ooh, I don't even know, 2018, maybe. Right. And that's when I came out. And, and then it just kind of snowballed in a way that I would never have expected that I would have changed my entire career. Yeah. So... When you say you had depression, you had anxiety, all these kinds of things, mm-hmm. was it mainly work focused or is it something that you've had like your whole life? Like, how did you come to the the realization that this was you, this is part of you now? 
So many years of therapy and all of the work that I do as a consultant, um, and I can give you information, I can help you understand your brain. But at the end of the day, you need someone who's going to work with you one-on-one. So I started going to therapy because of work, which is often how people do it. Yeah, They're like, okay, this is a safe entry. Work is crazy yeah. as it is often, whether you're an entrepreneur or someone working in corporate or nonprofit. And so I used their employee assistance program to essentially deal with what I call divorced um divorced uh bosses because yeah. <laughs> i kind of had two bosses <laughs> right. and it was like they were a divorced couple and that kicked off the journey and then so it started with that and and that helped me slowly realize and unpack as i was ready and that's how you know a good therapist they're not going to make you jump into things you're not comfortable with but slowly unpack and i started realizing that um i had so many layers so this is where i say some people have clinical depression and that usually is a, a baseline genetics plus lived experience, which often includes trauma or something, uh, the things that they consider on the um, adverse childhood experience scale called the ACE scale. And they just layer. That's why I know two people are the same. So like, here's the genetics and then experiences layer. And I was sexually abused as a kid um, and, you know, never really thought of that until my goddaughter was abused in a similar way. And it was almost like, it was almost like I was so protective of her. This is what changed my my therapy journey. I was so protective of her at the age of five. I was like, that I, it made me realize like, why don't I feel that same way about protecting my five-year-old self? And so that kind of switched the gear. So I came in in this like, I'm overwhelmed at work. You know, you know you're know, you you come in out of your PhD. I'm a BFD. I'm like doing all these things. And then you're like, okay, oh, a BFD, big doing? fucking deal. I just realized. All yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> That's a beer. I have to get me one of those, man. But yeah, go get me one of those. No, you do not want to be one of those because you allow your identity to only be that. And when you yeah. do that, as I've learned, and a lot of people associate with this out there, a lot of your listeners, is that when you allow yourself to believe in that identity and you believe that the way that you are working maniacally almost and you're what's called in the field in the psychology field hypermania yeah. that's a defense mechanism right for yeah. depression most definitely mm -hmm. yeah over keeping right? yourself you over stimulated and and doing too much all the time is to distract from the darker side oh. of things who wants to sit in with their thoughts not Nobody. me no 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 most definitely I don't, i've had I don't to learn that, that. <laughs> yeah so that was the switch so it came in as work and then you slowly unpack and then i had more lived experiences that made me kind of tap into these places in my brain that i had locked put under lock and key slowly opened up and said okay i'm ready to slowly acknowledge accept and recognize that these things aren't bad or good they're experiences that make me who i am and that's but kind of been the journey and once i started becoming so much more healthier once I started focusing on that, my anxiety is almost completely gone. I have my depression forever because of my genetics and my later experience. But most people have um, depressive episodes and you, you still need help, but they're just, they're episodes. We still have to deal with them so they don't layer. And then I was like, I gotta, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, I gotta tell more people about this. Like, there's no reason people shouldn't know this and be hiding in secret because you're so ashamed. Oh my gosh, people are going to think so poorly of me. Um, so that's all of a sudden turned into this, this new journey for me and their purpose or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you're just kind of spreading the word that, that you can have depression and it's okay. You can, you can kind of get through this or not even get through this. You, it's something to live with. Oh, it's just part of you. It's not bad or good. Right. It's like, yeah, it's just part of who I am. And you just take the tools to live with it and deal with it. And when you finally accept it, I it almost, I'm not gonna say love it, but allow it to just be like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stay in bed today this Saturday. I have to sit with you. Yeah, yeah. I just need to. I need to have a duvet day. 
one thing I had in therapy is they had this phrase called duvet diving. And uh, it, it was a it was a good and bad thing, you know. It's okay to duvet dive once a week, but duvet diving for a whole month, not a good thing. And yeah. um, that kind of goes into what I wanted to talk about with, with what you've spoken about in other places and other formats is the process of accepting it. Do you have any kind of like experiences or, you know, tips mm -hmm. for people that might need to d deal with the process of not even, you know, getting better or you know getting used to it but just accepting the you know the current state they're in the depression or anxiety yeah oh, this is perfect it's like i paid you to say this i didn't though and that's because this is where my science comes into play when i started approaching it as a scientist and and i started calling it and i'm i'm building a course on it called self-scientisting and the idea is how can i look at it first just from like the really objective and how can you and all you other folks out there listen thinking about it like oh Let's just look at it from genetics. Let's start there, mm. right? Genetics isn't bad or good. It's just like the unique makeup of you. Then you start thinking about how does genetics play into how my brain works? Okay, how does my lived experiences, whether traumatic or not, have changed the way my neurons or my cells in my brain connect with each other and form patterns? Once you start thinking about it that way, you can start observing what are these habits that I've developed for survival? Right, yeah. So that's just the first starting point. Okay, here's where I am. Here's the baseline. This is this is how I work and in, in science, we call that kind of baseline or pilot data. All right, here's where we're starting. Then it gets interesting. Once you start there, you take away the judgment of yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's the first step. Because when we judge ourselves, we think we're wrong. Like we were born, I mean, I thought that for so long. I was born wrong. I shouldn't be alive. What do I bring to this earth? Um, I never believe it when people tell me, oh, you've done great things and you're helping people. I'm like, mm -hmm, you're just saying that to be nice. Yeah. Take all that away. Be right. a scientist. Yeah. That's the first, that's the first tip I'm going to give you and anyone else listening out there is you're totally unique in how your brain works Yeah. and your culture plays into that and how you're raised and your conditioning plays into that. And underlying all of that is this baseline blueprint, your DNA, who you are. When you do that, you stop judging. Right. So that's the first tip. Just let the take the judgments, <laughs> throw them out the window. Yeah, yeah, but it's so hard to do that unless I give you a framework. So I have yeah. to give you a framework to say you, this is how we're going to do it. Right. Okay. We're going to use science. Yeah. So that's the first tip. Well, that's something you're well versed in is is science. So once you've thrown the judgments out the window and all that kind of stuff, you're you're coming into a place of accepting, you know, whatever situation you're in. But there's also parts of that that you can kind of, you know, because uh, that's like you said, your therapist said to you, it's a process. You you don't just get it all fixed and do your homework and whatever. There's, you know, your fitness, your diet, all that kind of stuff are things to be taken into account. And it's, it's something you've spoken about on other shows is about how fitness has helped you with your mental health. What, what kind of things did you do to, you know, kickstart that or maintain that oh. now? Absolutely. So the next thing you say to yourself is, okay, I've got these baseline behaviors. How do I want to start incorporating variables? And in science, the variables are things you change into this. Now, recognizing there are things you can control yeah, and there's things you can't control, right? right? Other people you yeah. can't control. The rest of the world, you can't control. Your life, for the most part, you can control. Yeah. And so once you decide that, you start saying, okay, which areas are my easy entry points, right? You want to go for a win. And for me, because I'd had the brain injury, um, you know, my 
couldn't walk for a while and, you know, couldn't even do puzzles. I mean, like it was, you know, I was just kind of comatose watching birds out the window for a couple months. I had to get to the point where I knew that that was a good place for me to start. Right. Now I'm going to throw in a little science here <clears throat> because one of the things we know about exercise is that when you do it, it actually helps your brain. Here's yeah. how. Yeah. So in your cells, so people remember like eighth grade science. So in your cells, you have your nucleus, which is like your brain center and you have your cytoplasm, which is where all these other little organelles or, or little organs live that do great things for your body. One of them are called mitochondria. Mitochondria is your energy center. It's where you make energy. Right. When you work out, your brain actually makes more mitochondria in the brain cells, which make, gives it more energy, which makes your brain works better. Right. When your brain is working better, your depressive episodes are shorter or even sometimes non-existent right. because your brain uses 20%, for example, of your body's energy, glucose energy that comes in. So we want to keep this little, this little three pounds of jello working pretty good. It's a, it is, it is a natural defense mechanism. So okay. first I was saying exercise was an easy entry point and mm -hmm. also really cheap. Like you don't really even need equipment. Just start walking. Literally. I just started walking. Cause that was all I could do. I can't, I, I can't run anymore. The next thing I knew was like, Oh, as a scientist, I know that I'm going to get double bang for the buck. Not only am I going to get stronger so I can play with my kid and not get hurt. And you know, all of a sudden it switches. Don't do it. Cause you want to look good naked. Yeah. I'm just going to throw it out there. If your okay. motivation is to look good naked, that's not going to help. Okay. If your motivation is to get stronger for a variety of reasons, be there for the people in your lives, your kids, yeah. and also make your brain work better. Now it's not so hard to get up in the morning or whenever you do your workout to bang out something. So that was for me, the easy entry point. Other people's easy entry point might be changing out something in their diet. Um, really hard entry points that I'm going to say you go to after you have these wins are going to be how you start changing the way you interact with people who are triggers, for example. So that's like, that's advanced level, you know, college 401 class. Yeah. But we want to start at 101. Okay. So you're going to, so you got these variables, you got controls, and you're just going to start making these changes. And you're going to follow, the, the trick to being a scientist about it is you're not just going to do it and not care. You're going to follow it. And you're going to be like, what happened then? How did I feel? And so I'm going to throw out a tool that I use. It's called Dalio. It's an app. Um, they have a free version and I think they have a paid version and I clock every day, multiple times a day. How am I feeling? Why? What are the things going on? Right. Because as a scientist, if you are doing the experiments, but not collecting the data, it's useless. Right. You need to exactly. do the experiments, collect the data, and then okay. eventually analyze the data. Right. And so when it comes to analyzing the data, you can be like, do you know what? Every time I'm talking to Jerry in the office, I feel like crap. Maybe I should stop speaking to Jerry type thing. And you can see the, the patterns of what makes your day good or bad. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, if you have an ice cream every day, then it's going to kind of counteract the exercise. But <laughs> yeah. And what I'm going to throw out, which is the third. So, so there's all these layers of experience of, of introducing experiments and talk, yeah. not talking to Jerry is really far out there. Yeah. Like that's something we're going to build to. What I would say then is how can you then start looking for trends? And this is something that I started doing for myself to realize what were my early indicators. So to go back to your duvet diving, if yeah, I may. Yeah. So like you said, okay, one, you know, four hours of this duvet diving, possibly self-pity, whatever you want to call it, inner, inner thinking, talking with your inner person. There's a lot of range of duvet diving. One, you know, however many hours that is the right amount is good, but a month is really bad. Yeah. How can we think about these early indicators in our lives to start introducing changes so that it only is maybe that two hours that we need or maybe a day? 
but that you're not spiraled so far down. And I know from experience because I've had uh, months at my worst. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I've, I've had weeks, months, probably even close to years of just oh, complete heavens. struggle. But it's like on the surface, it's like, oh, he seems okay. It's like, no, 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 no. Everything's bad, bad, yeah. bad, boy. So I want people to start thinking about looking at this data as early indicators. An early indicator for me is always, I can always tell when I don't get enough protein. This yeah. is like really basic. When I don't get my hundred grams of protein a day, I know that I'm going to lead to eating crappy food at night. And when I eat crappy right. food at night, I don't sleep as well. Yeah. When I don't sleep as well, I don't want to work out. When I don't work out, so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's kind of like thinking about what are those earliest levels in this cascade of me when in my self-scientisting that I can see and be like, oh, whoa i just realized that this is happening yeah i feel like duvet diving tomorrow so my only goal today is getting 100 grams of protein yeah so you backtrack it right that's it i don't have to get out of bed after all i have to do is get 100 grams of protein yeah. and that one little goal snowballs as opposed to my goal is to run five miles and do this huge no 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 Ooh, bring it back to simple to simple small small steps so yep. I, I kind of feel like I didn't even know about this whole um, accident you had, the skiing accident. Do you, do you mind talking about that a bit? Like what happened? Yeah, why, sure. Why it happened? You know, obviously I like skiing. I don't want the same thing to happen to me, but do you mind talking me through it a little bit? Yeah. And this ties into the, what you asked earlier around social scientist. Um, I've always been a person who believes that there's something bigger than me. And you yeah. can call it source energy, ancient breath of life, God, soul whatever you call it, if you have something you believe in, I am your person. Like I believe in you too. Yeah. And so for me, I've always been very good about trusting my gut and trusting the universe, kind of yeah. that leap in the net will appear thing. So I knew my team, my team at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, I missed, I, I won't say I missed the job because I was done with it, Yeah. <laughs> but I missed my people. Yeah. And they were so good about being like, we see that you're you're starting to spiral. Like yeah. we had such good trust. And as a team, we would know who needed a break mm -hmm. and just be there to support them and not right. judge them. And they kind of were like, you think, I think you need a break. And so one of my best friends and I were like, we're going to take off a day of work. Like I never lied about it. I'm like, I'm taking off a day of work. It's a Thursday. I'm going skiing. It's bluebird day in Denver. Great, you know, great snow putting on my fat skis. And so me and my girl, Tara, we left early. We drove up to the mountains and I have no memory of this, by the way. This is what people are telling me. Oh, okay. I still don't have a memory of it. Okay. And somewhere in that morning, I was skiing too fast because that's what I do. And so we were at a mountain that's pretty steep and deep and um, skiing like a bat out of hell because that you think you're immortal. Hit ice, don't know. And um, I don't know, got knocked out. So as the story goes, someone saw, she had gone on a different path because oh. I was skiing so fast. And so next thing she knows, she's getting a call from ski patrol. Right. Like, hey, is this Tara? And she's like, who is this? <laughs> we have we have Nicole. She doesn't really know what's going on. Her eyes are all over the place. She's perseverating, which means um, in medical terms, it means that you kind of have no short-term memory. So I kept right. being like, wow, what's going on? Hey, this isn't what we planned for the day. I, I, apparently I said that hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. I am a very positive amnesiac, it turns out. That's um, good. But obviously the am amnesia is not so good. But yeah. <laughs> So they, you know, load me up in an ambulance, bring me to the trauma center at, um, down in Denver. Poor Tara had to call my husband, my poor, I mean, not bad for me. I have no memories, but learning about, you know, him getting there and thinking everything was okay. Cause I went, Hey Stu, 
My husband's yeah. name is Stu. Yeah. This isn't what we planned for the day. And of course, he doesn't know that that's what I've been saying over all day. and over yeah. all day. And then he's like, okay, she's doing good. And then Tara just waited and looked at him. And then conversation died down. And I kind of woke up again. I was like, hey, Stu, <laughs> this isn't what we planned for the day. And he just went in the hallway and lost it. And she didn't tell me this till months later. Um, so it took quite a bit of time before I finally came to, like mm. I had started having memories. It was in, I think my second MRI and I got really lucky. I mean, I, I know people have a hard time saying like, what do you mean you have a brain injury lucky? And I think this is just part of this acceptance and this trust in the universe that I have. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to be cliche and say it happened for a reason. It's just, well, it happened. I don't have to say it happened for a reason. It's just part of my story now. So I had to take off a couple months of work and um, I was planning on leaving my job. And it was, I really almost think like the universe was like, I told you to do this and you didn't. So I had so to I'm force you. you. I am going to knock you on your ass, which is why I say to people like, don't wait for the universe. It's not going to be good. Yeah. I'm going to have to teach you how to walk again and how to like drive and talk to somebody at the same time. Like my cognitive, my cognitive, my physical thing. I couldn't use different parts of my brain at the same time. If, yeah. if you, my physical therapist, if she had me doing squats, I couldn't say the alphabet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're talking real basic. Yeah. And, um, it just knocked me on my ass and I was like, okay, I'm relearning all these basic things. And when I came out of that, I was like, there's a lot more shit important in life than me proving that, proving my worth at a job that I know I'm done with. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you had that thought a while back and funny enough that the time they gave you off was meant to be for you to recharge from that. But you in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't even want to be here anymore. And mm -hmm. funnily enough, that ended up being your, your last day there. I'm assuming you didn't go back after. No, I went <laughs> Back like a ding dong. Uh, uh, I had yeah. some projects. I had a huge grant from the National Institutes of Health, and I don't remember what the equivalent is in in the UK. Yeah. Um, I had a huge grant, and uh, I wanted to take care of my team and make sure that they were good. And I was so lucky. P I, I always think this: people don't leave jobs; they leave managers. I was so lucky to have the best manager. Her name is Dr. Gabriela Chavaria, and she was just like. She was the she was vice president of research and she was just like, what do you need? Let's do this. And I said, I know I need to leave. She's like, okay, let's figure this out together. And so she helped me to, to leave faster than I think I could have right. and approved the way that I did that while yeah. taking care of my team, taking care of the project and taking oh. care of myself. Yeah. It does yeah. help when you have a higher management or people above you that understand that you're a person, not just a number in the system. And that is something that I feel like nowadays is becoming more like a regular thing where people actually care about the people they employ as opposed to going like, get the job done or else it's problems type thing. But mm -hmm. so you went from working in um, the research lab straight into what you're doing now, into the whole consultancy, mental health type side yeah. of things. I had been, I had been consulting already in the food area. So I was working for food and beverage companies and doing scientific, oh, I still do some scientific reports for folks because they're fun. I like digging into the data yeah. for companies who are looking to launch new products. Um, so I was already doing that. So I was very familiar and I am a serial entrepreneur. I was very familiar with what that felt like. And I liked it, but I never had the confidence that I could do it as a job. And um, I said, well, I don't know if I have the confidence or not, but we're going to do it. And me and my husband worked really closely together on our finances to make it possible. So after I left the museum, I thought that I was going to stick in that land public, you know, doing my keynote speeches, doing my trainings, all food and beverage, genetics, uh, the tied to taste. And I realized I had no motivation in it. Money was great. 
I was like, I'm killing it. And yet, even with COVID, I still made hit my numbers that in 2020. And I was like, this is not my purpose. This is not that's going to move me. And then I fell into pretty deep inner thinking for a serious amount of time while I started re-understanding like, what is my identity? What is, what am I supposed to be doing here? And I knew that I needed to share the story and I didn't know if it was going to make money. I still don't. And I talked to my husband about it and he's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you're the work that you're doing is so much more important than the work that I'm doing. Even though he's, you know, doing this, he does a lot of financial planning and work and, and it's making good money, which is allowing me to do this. So I'm very blessed in how this has all come around, um, that financially I can do it. But even if we couldn't, I mean, I was a totally poor graduate student living, you know, living on nothing, you know, bread and mustard for plenty of my life. I was like, even if we didn't have the money, we agreed and something happens to his job. We agreed that this is work that needs to be done. Yeah. So you feel it's like crazy work with a, with a purpose behind it is a lot more fulfilling and a lot better mm -hmm. for people in general than, you know, just going in and kind of, uh, as we call it here in England, going in and turning the handle every day kind of just, Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of think about it the way that I always talk with the students I mentor is there's jobs. Yeah. There's careers, right? Yeah. And I was in a career at the museum and there's callings. Yeah. I've shifted into the calling and you got to have, you just got to put full trust into the world that you're doing what you need to do. And as someone who's always struggled, struggled with authenticity, because I always thought I'd be judged as not worthy enough. And this ties to depression and being a survivor of abuse. All of a sudden you realize when you're doing that work, that's a calling that other stuff falls away. I can be brave for people who can't, I can be vulnerable for people who can't for the first time in my life. And that's, that's it. And it helps me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like totally selfless here. Like every time I learn about something new about brain science and I share it with other people, I'm learning about myself. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then once you've, once you've learned that part about yourself, then it goes back into cool. What I'm doing, everything stems from me from what I'm doing now. So it's like, this is now going to go into my course or into my next speech or my next kind of Absolutely. educational thing. So what are the kind of things that you you would do in like your average kind of workshop? What do you, what do you, where do you start and how do you end? Because I'm I don't know if you do like an hour long workshop or if you do like a whole day, mm -hmm. but you know, kind of give the listeners like a a brief idea of of what that a session with Nicole is like. Yeah. So I right now I'm not doing one on one work. I do um, keynote addresses that talk about kind of the story, the confessions of a depressed scientist. Yeah. And that's usually for corporate groups who are thinking about how can we normalize neurodiversity in the workplace yeah. and do it with humor. And we have this person who can stand up and have a connection piece and people walk out being like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Right. Right. So I do those. Um, of course, all of those got canceled. <laughs> I don't have any in-person talks right now. Yeah, I know. Every, everything's <laughs> remote. It's, it's the worst. And, and the that's best. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I shifted to doing, instead of doing these online, instead of doing these in-person keynote addresses, um, at conferences and things like that, or at corporate functions or corporate retreats or whatever you want to call them, I started building courses online yeah. and I never would have thought I would do that. And it has been awesome. Yeah. So I was working on a paid course that is called, it's kind of a signature course called, um, success through the lens of mental health. And it's using this self-scientisting process was working on that. I was like, yeah, this is going great. And then all of a sudden I was like, I don't want to work. Like something's wrong. I'm not feeling it. And all of a sudden one day I woke up. I'm like, no, I have to put out a free course on depression. So I talked to my husband. I'm like, so remember I was going to make money. Yeah. We're going to put that on hold again. And I need to get this free course out there. That's this real 
just baseline. Here's the science behind it. Here's what to expect. He, you know, frequently asked questions. Um, here's how the neuroscience of SSRIs, which are selective serotonin re um, uptake re-inhibitors work. Like just like all these things that you think you're alone and you're living in this big secret and it sucks because the more you think you're in a secret, the more you think people are going to judge you, you just spiral worse. I was like, how can I put a wedge in that and be like, no, no, don't spiral worse. You're not alone. Yeah. Here's I, uh, the thing that I'm really proud of is conversation kits. Here's how to talk to other people about what you're experiencing. Right. And even more important, because I realized the people who are coming to me most yeah. were not people who are experiencing depressive symptoms. It was people with loved ones or friends experiencing. Right. Yeah. So you want to be able to give them the tools to, to get the conversation yep. started. Exactly. And this is so in I the, made a kit for that. This is in the free course. Everything's in the free course. Everything's in the free course. And then the last one is all about, you know, here's extra resources. Here's everything I can put together and I'll probably try to update as much as possible. And I got that out. And it yeah. was like this weird labor of love. I have an editor that I'm working with. I was like, we're switching gears. <laughs> Stop working on that thing. Yes, I will still pay you. We got to get this other course out because so many people are reaching out to me because I talk a lot about my experiences on social media. Yeah. Um, and so I had all these people reaching out for me and wanting resources. And I was like, well, I can't have one-on-one -on -one conversations with everyone. I'm like, what can I get out there? Yeah, that that you need to be able to direct people to a, a central point. Because the thing is, you're one person, you've only got so many hours in a day. And if you give everyone 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, mm -hmm. where do you have the time to A, live your life, B, do anything productive? You don't. But if you have a place you go, look, I've emptied that part of my brain on this part of, you know, in this link here, go over there, you'll find out what you want to find out. And if not, come back to me, but you'll have a very, you'll have a very specific question for me, which is going to be better for you and better for me type thing. Yes. Yep. And that means that I had now like, again, I'm like, don't get pulled off of this. You're supposed to be doing this course, but I'm already like, what's the depression 102 look like? Yeah. What does depression 102 look like where I talk about, here's the tools now yeah. as you're starting to manage it. Um, yeah. So I just have to do both. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. When you start working on your calling, as you called it, or what I like to say, as you start working in your purpose, you feel mm. like you get so many things that you want to get done at once. Do you know what I mean? You go, oh, I've got this idea. Cool. Let me start on it. And then you go, oh, wait, but then this idea feeds into that idea. And, th and then it's like, cool, I need to pace myself. But then it's also, it's like, I feel like for me personally, once I get going, if I stop, then it's all going to go to shit. So I have to keep, mm. got to keep the wheels spinning. Do you know what I mean? I've got to keep the momentum going. And with mental health as well, there's there's the side of that which is good, but then there's the side of that which yes. is bad. And it's like, I have yeah. I have really bad insomnia. I've had it for, oh God, how, how old am I now? I've had it for like 17 years. But it's like where I have, on a regular basis, I have days that are like 20 hours long which is like not as in 20 hours of work, but it's like I sleep for four hours, I wake up, I'm fine. Other days, you know, I get six hours, eight hours, you know, better sleeps. But more often than not, I have a longer day than everybody. That doesn't mean I have to work all those hours in the day. It, mm -hmm. So when I say to people, oh yeah, no, I play Xbox or I play, you know, computer games like four hours a day. They're like, where do you find the time if you're working for 10 hours, 12 hours a day? It's like, oh, I don't sleep that much. So like, oh, it's like, have you tried this? And have you tried? It's like, listen. I like, know. Not everybody needs eight hours of sleep. If you're fine and functioning fine with four hours sleep, then cool. But you have to be more in tune with yourself yes. to know that, oh, okay, I haven't had a good sleep today. Maybe I can't drive quite far. Or I've had, I haven't had much sleep today. Maybe I shouldn't work 12 hours today or 15 mm -hmm. hours today. But on the days that you can go, 
Do you know what I mean? Go, because otherwise you might come to a day where you can't do much. And it's like, correct. And it goes back into what you're saying about, you know, four hours here or two hours here of, um, you know, duvet diving is acceptable. But for a month, we've got to work on that. We've got to make sure it's. we got to work on it. It doesn't magically go away. Yeah. And, you know, something that you tapped into that has some really strong research behind it, Sam, is this idea of how much sleep do you need? Now, your brain needs this rest. Absolutely. We understand what happens in terms of regeneration when we're in different levels of sleep. But the other piece of it is you have to know yourself and you can self-scientist this to understand what are those things you can do while you're awake that actually still recharge your brain. And I think of it as um, moving meditation, which includes video gaming, which includes gardening. It includes walking. Um, I use no, I, I need a lot of sleep now, which kind of sucks because of my brain injury. I used to need like seven hours of sleep and now yeah. I need nine or 10. Yeah. My brain just needs it. It's just part of who I am now. Right. Yeah. So I do a lot of yoga Nidra because I'm able to use that as a, my brain has this quiet time. Yeah. Um, th- sleep is not the only way. But there has to be something that you do in order to let your brain off the hook, so to speak, exactly. because we solve so not only you're regenerating um, and brain plasticity, which is the, the regeneration of new cells and new patterns that connect yeah. in those cells, but also because you solve a lot of problems unconsciously and you exactly. have a lot, you, your creativity will not be there if, if you, you don't, don't get rest. that downtime. And exactly. I don't care what the downtime looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes totally contrary to this, this, you know, this last 200 years of like industrialization, work, 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 put a badge on you because you work so much. Let's start, let's just call bullshit on that. Okay. Yeah, let's working just, yourself to death done. is not the move like at all. We're all done with that, everybody. All done. Bosses, if you're listening to this, we're all done with that. <laughs> you want better productivity out of people, support the person. Well, it's, yep. be- it's become a thing where it's just, it's just fed down the chain, hasn't it? It's gone from however many years ago, work hard, you get paid well, you go home and you pass out. Now it's work hard, you get paid well. If you pass out, we'll take you out in a wheelbarrow. Now it's work hard, we'll pay you all right. If you die, we'll replace you tomorrow. Like it's just, to what ends does that happen? I don't know. But it's like, now I feel like a lot more people are becoming conscious of, you know, these aren't just numbers in the system. These are people. And one narrative I'm pushing is something I really want to push for. People are pushing for a one hour lunch break. I'm pushing for a two hour lunch break. And the reason why I want people, especially the employees that I will have in the future, I want them to have a two hour lunch break is the first half an hour is just turning off from work. I want oh, you to yeah. be fully switched off from work. Then spend an hour, go f- get your lunch. You know, if there's a kitchen in our office, cook your lunch, whatever you want to do, get that done. Enjoy your lunch. Watch the TV show you can't watch because your kids won't let you or you go to bed so early. Do something for yourself for an hour. Then the next half an hour, slowly ease yourself back into work. And that's where the two hour lunch break comes into things. But people are like, two hours wasted in the day. I was like, if you give people that time to just be themselves and, and relax, you're going to get way more productive work because not only is there less working hours, but it's like there's less time for them to be doing nonsensical things. People will be more focused and more kind of like, hmm, I've just had a whole bunch of time to myself. Now I have time to do my work. I should do my work in this time. And, you know, it's something I found from when I used to work in an office. I used to spend like two, three hours a day not doing any work. Mm-hmm. I used to just be there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And if someone, walk, 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 oh, let me retire. Yeah, okay. I'm in my emails. Okay, yeah. There's a staff party on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Busy. Yep, <laughs> there's, a good, staff, good. there's a staff party on Friday. Click attend. Yep, okay. That was literally it. And yeah. I kept fighting my manager. I was like, 
I want to take an hour for lunch. He's like, oh, well, everyone takes half an hour. What do you want an hour for? I was like, oof, just to eat peacefully. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think one of the things you're tapping into that some of the um, productivity research is looking at, and there was a great group who looked at this um, where they talked about slow start Mondays, mm. which, and I can't remember the name of the group. Um, but it was a think tank and they looked at the research behind how to get people transitioning in a way that doesn't lead to anxiety in the work week. And then in addition to that, how can you give autonomy back to the employee yeah. in order to build their day so that they're most productive? Because guess what? People want to, people want to contribute. Yeah. It's not like you don't want to contribute even in a job, even in places where I was, it was my job, not even my career. I'm like, I want to contribute. Like, yeah. I want to feel good at the end of the day. You want to work hard. But, Most people do, but I need the flexibility and autonomy to be like, Oh, I am killing it right now. I'm going to crank. Yeah. And that you don't care that my lunch break is a half an hour here or an hour there. Like, you know, that I have these flex two hours, for example. Yeah. I can use them all at once. I can do however. I want. If I need to get out of the place and go get a walk and get fresh air, that's not looked down upon. Exactly. So there's a really, so some great stuff around um, productivity research. And I'm not an expert in this. I just dabble in it because it's fascinating because it yeah. ties to behavioral health and mental health. Yeah. But it shows when you give autonomy back to employees and you allow them to contribute at the highest level based on their structuring of their day and their mind and themselves. Yeah. Woo. You are going to have some loyal employees. Yeah. And it's going to affect your bottom line. There's a big R and I on that that's what netflix do they have a i think it's unlimited holiday and a lot of the the current tech companies have unlimited mm -hmm. holiday or you know no set working hours so turn up mm -hmm. when you like get your work done or you know they have core hours you have to be in the office between say like sure. 12 and 3 but outside of that if you want to start at 12 and finish at 7 do your thing or if you want to start at yeah you know 7 in the morning finish at 3 do your thing mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like to some people it sounds crazy what you could, so I could take three months off now. So yeah, if you wanted to, but most people mm -hmm. don't because they feel yeah. the group kind of not pressure, but group community aspect of like, we're in this together. Me taking three months off is going to make things hard for mm -hmm. Sally or things hard for Steve. And it's like, people are starting to realize like, wait, hold on. Everybody's responsible in their own way. Yes, you can. Great. You yep. can trust. And people. one thing, one thing we don't want to overlook here is we're speaking from a place of privilege where yeah. our jobs are creative based. Yeah. And I recognize that at some of these service level jobs, how 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 can we think outside the box of how we're doing that? Not just in the places where we're asking people to do the creative work, but also in the places in the service industry and other places that are that are more entry level, because it, it shouldn't just be for the folks who have worked up the chain. I mean, we got to really rethink all the way through how we teach kids. Like I'm trying to be very careful with my daughter not being like, let's go, let's do, go. You got to be like, daughter, rush, rush, rush. I'm like, no, that's what my mom did to me because that's what her life has been. Yeah. I'm going to break that chain. I don't want her to be stressed out about this. I want yeah. her to go in and feeling good about when she goes to school or goes to jujitsu or whatever she does. So I think there's, there's a lot we can do. And I think we are on the cusp of a new era where we will be rethinking and COVID kind of COVID like my brain injury was a big slap in the face yeah, to it's... industrialization. How do you want to rethink this work? How do you want to think this world? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's pushed a lot of employees that previously said, you know, Oh, you can't do your job remotely to have to accept that. Well, yeah, you can do your job. And they have no excuse. It's not like COVID was for like for a month or two. And it was a difficult, pro it's been a whole year over a year. People have been working yeah. remotely. Some businesses have fallen by the wayside. Other businesses have prospered. They're seeing the benefits of it. It's like, cool. Remote work is possible. Now it's more about allowing people what I say, time flexibility, especially those with, yes. with children 
Some people yes. literally feel like they go Please. to work and they come home. So they're, they're an employee, then they're a parent and they never have time for themselves is what I hate. Obviously, I don't, I don't have children to know this, but people that I know that have children, they say this. And I'm like, so what, in, in the day, you don't have no time where you just kind of just, just, you just you, you just do what you want to do. Maybe you like to carve wood or something. They're like, no, I'm like. Not sustainable. Yeah, I would say it's employers should allow you to have some time to be yourself. Because if you're not yourself, you can't do your job. And they, funny enough, they hired you because they thought you were the best person to do this job. Amazing. Yeah. That's right. And That's I, right. I'm just really, I'm really kind of interested in the new working environment. I feel like, you know, there are the buzzwords going around now about, you know, mental health, burnout, this, work-life balance. And I think some people have got it absolutely perfect. So they say, it's not about work-life balance. It's all just life. It's just life. And make it sustainable. Yeah. Live it sustainably. And I'm I'm truly excited about approaching it just like we're like I'm doing with the mental health stuff is how can we approach it with less judgment? How can you approach it from the perspective that is soul-based, which is the person, and also business-based? You can't yeah. have one without the other. Yeah. But you can do it by remove using science to remove the judgment around it and then break the value chain that we built over the last 200 years yeah. and rebuild it using smarter methodology and stop putting band-aids on stuff. Almost I mean, definitely. if we approach if we approach so many problems in that way, um, and we have such a creative workforce starting, you know, in these these upcoming generations, that it's gonna happen. Yeah, no, yeah, it most definitely will. I think, you know, our generation. I'm assuming we're in a similar age bracket. So let's say millennials, late millennials, that kind of bracket of people. Oh no, I'm a Gen X. I'm old. Ah, well, close <laughs> enough. We're there. We're there. We're all in the same kind of bracket. We're alive. We know how to use phones and stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's right yeah so let's put it this way i didn't have a phone until the end of college okay i didn't have a phone until i was 17 okay sorry right. yeah 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 all right all right there's not there's <laughs> a difference between us you know? little, yeah. little piece little piece but um yeah um, and it was a flip phone by the way <laughs> oh no my my first phone was a blackberry yeah a blackberry. oh lucky duck okay all I right mean, i digress you uh, go yeah mm -hmm. so same generation we are going to push this kind of working environment because you've got to remember there's people in the workplace now that are like 60, 70 odd. Those are the people that are in charge because they've worked their way up to the top. And That's da, right. da, da, da. But it's like their mindset is all they know. They've had that going on for the last 40, 50 years. It's you get in, you put your head down, you, da, 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 you ain't got no time for depression, you ain't got no time for this. And so like our generation is coming from like, hey, 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 it's not all about, you know, all oh, the snowflakes and we're soft people we are genuinely trying to become better people. But for 40 or 50 years, people have been, you know, working hard, working hard. And and with that, it's like, is there any benefit to that? You work hard, then you, you finish work when you're nearly half dead. And then you enjoy, what, 10, maybe 15 more years of life? And that's yeah. it? I don't well, thank know. thank you. I don't think that's that's a good way to live. I've, I've seen a, quite a few companies are pushing for a four-day work week. I know they do it in some places in Europe. And they said it's mm. made things a lot better. And, you know, obviously Spain's always been known for its siestas and all that kind of stuff. Of course. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like in England and in the US and, you know, it's in China and Japan and other oh, countries. Yeah. They just work you to death. Yeah, that's right. My dad, who's in that baby boomer generation, but <clears throat> was definitely like a hippie, like still would live out of his car if that was fine. He had said to me recently that he wished that he had been able to have the time to do the work that I'm doing now in terms of myself because he would have made changes sooner and now he's like I made changes when I was you know 65 70 
and I'm not going to waste those years by any means, but I look back and I think, no, I could have, I could have done this work and, and come to peace with these certain pieces of myself sooner and changed my life. Here's how to find Nicole online. At Doc Garno. That's my, I, I'm lucky that no one else has that. So I have it for everything. I've got it for TikTok, Facebook, um, Instagram. I'm missing a few in there. Uh, so it's at D-O-C. Yeah, at D-O-C. And then my last name, which is French, G-A-R-N-E-A-U. So that's, that's where you can find me on everything. And, and you'll see that I'm there. And then sometimes I won't be there and you'll know that I'm doing inner work and I am unapologetic about when I am not, you know, on social media, all the social people are like marketing people like you have to be there every day and schedule stuff. And I'm like, I will be there when I have something authentic to say. And if I don't, I'm not going to push stuff in your face. Yeah. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.